Welcome, everybody. I am Jesse Mogul, and thank you for joining us on the American Contingency Podcast. We are a united nationwide community of steadfast Americans ready for any challenge that comes our way. We inform, equip, and train so you can prepare, respond, and recover from any man-made or natural disaster or situation. And it has been a wonderful year. I know we've all had an amazing Christmas holiday. I hope you had a great time with your family, your friends, whomever you chose to spend it with. And now we were looking forward into what 2024 can become. I love this time of the year because there's all this hope. It's like a football team at the beginning of the season. Who knows? They're probably going to finish three and 13, but man, there's hope. And I love hope. And in order to achieve even more hope than I'm already feeling towards 2024, we're going to bring back on Tom Rigsby, because I think you're going to be able to bring in a lot of astute observations into what we've achieved in 2023, what we can look forward to in 2024. And hey, we all know that planning is priceless and the plans are slightly worthless. So Tom, jump in on the conversation and tell us what is the most exciting thing you are seeking for the year of 2024? The most exciting thing? Yeah, this is the biggest boldest now it didn't have to be amcon related like are you thinking you're going to win the lottery that thing's getting to like a billion dollars like four times a year there's anything that you can think of excitement level abound hope over springing through your veins what is something that excites you about 2024 um well you know hope springs eternal right and so there's always there's always this idea that i can i can be better now, better is not measurable generally, and so I I look at outcomes. But you know, for me, me personally, I I, I think I'm going to draw my satisfaction this year out of seeing uh, continued positive growth and improvement in the in our Amcon family, and I I do enjoy that. And you know, one of the things I really look forward to is being able to spend time with the members and go camping and cookouts and eat dinner and that sort of thing. So I will put a lot of those on my calendar this year. And that's, what's going to bring me joy. How about that? I love that. I love that. You know, it's it's, what American contingency has become since Mike Glover, you know, flipped on his camera, got on YouTube and said, get off the couch. Let's do something for ourselves. Let's stop relying on infrastructure. Let's start supporting one another. Let's go back to the pioneer days where we all were a collective of families who didn't even know who the hell we were until we set off from St. Louis to go across the plains to a better land. You put a lot of attention towards intentional outreaching to families, intentional onboarding of new members. you really focus our team in Utah on making sure that we're doing these things with intention. When I repetitively said the word intention, it was on purpose for you to define what you bring to the table in the guidance of intentional when it comes to on reaching, outreaching to families and onboarding new members. Well, so, you know, our three focuses for 2024 or you just name them, right? Intentional outreach to families, uh, intentional onboarding, and intentional chapter growth. And I purposely started each one of those focuses with the word intentional because we don't want it to be accidental. We want to do it on purpose, right? It's very easy. You know, in, in a lot of cases, our chapters have been together for a couple of years now. 
We're comfortable with each other. These are the people that are in my group. And it's very easy to fall into that trap that, well, this is just my, this is just my group. This is my team, right? We're, we're not adding. We're not taking away. Some guys bring their wives. Some wives bring their husbands. Some don't. This is, but this is just who the team is. And we need to, you know, being prepared is a family activity. It does no good. It does zero good for me to have fire extinguishers in every room of the house and nobody else in the family know how to use them because I'm not here 24 hours a day, right? So this is a, this is a, a family activity. Everybody in the family at their own level needs to know what preparedness means to them. So organizationally, we need to be intentional about communicating that, about facilitating that, and encouraging that. Um, so, you know, that's the, the family part. Intentional onboarding is just making sure that people get connected well. You know, we have, we have chapters and we have members in all 50 states. We have chapters in 36 or 38 states um, and, and more forming every day. We want to get people meeting face-to-face. -face. We want we want people to bring their friends, family, and neighbors on. You know, it, it's it's not enough to me to say, well, there's not a chapter in my area, so, we, you know, I, I can't do that. Then start one, right? And we want to help you start one. You know, it, it, it's, you know, we talked last time about the power of having that local team, that local chapter, and it's just so important that, that we want to support that. But moreover, there's a lot to being prepared and people might find us because they're interested in one particular aspect, but we want to make sure that they are aware of all of the aspects of all of the resources that we have available. You know, as I go out and talk to groups, the, you know, they'll ask, well, what, can't we have so-and-so? Why can't we do this? I'm like it's right here on the pull my phone out and punch a, you know, tap a few buttons. And it's right here. It's on the website. It's in the phone app. It's this is how you do it. Oh, I didn't even know about that. So onboarding is just making sure that everybody is well connected with all of the resources that we have. And then chapter growth is just getting those chapters started, growing them, making sure they're formed well, functioning well, and that they have access to all the tools and resources that they need as well. When I had you on the last episode, I brought up the Dunning-Kruger effect sort of just in passing, but I've since done a little bit more information and deep diving into this idea that people with a low ability um, at different levels of task management uh, will overestimate their actual ability to achieve a desired outcome in a crisis event situation. How does American Contingency provide the structure and stability and the foundational knowledge for people to move from this idea of like, oh yeah, I'll just figure it out. I'm like, well, have you ever figured anything out like that? No, but I'm sure I'll just figure it out when it happens. How do we get people from that to, yeah, I have a reasonable idea of the steps I would take if this crisis situation were to occur? Hands-on training and practice. There is no substitute. I, you know, one of the, we'll go back to one of my pet topics is communications and people will go buy, you know, everything from a little $25 radio to a hundred dollar radio. And they'll say, well, I don't need to get my ham license. I don't need to get any kind of license. Uh, you know, when things go bad, nobody's going to be enforcing the rules anyway. 
And my typical response to them is, well, that's probably true if it's a catastrophic failure. Um, but in that case, and you wanted to get me on the radio, show me, take your radio out and show me how to do that. And if they do take it out and turn it on about half the time, the battery's dead. Um, for those where the battery's not dead, they turn it on, then they look at it for a minute, and then they say, well, what frequency are you on? I'm like, if you practiced, you would know, right? So there, there's all these practical things that you need to practice. You need to build that muscle memory. You need to build that that tacit knowledge about how to do those things. And so one of the things that we're doing this year, I'm really excited about this too. And this is one of the, the ways I'm going to get to visit with people this year is we are, um, we're putting on uh, an adventure challenge in each of the six regions. You know, we got the country hunt divided up into six regions. Each region is going to have at least one adventure challenge event where, um, Members can come to that adventure challenge and compete either as individuals or teams or families and go through a series of stations that challenges them on some task or skill or capability that they should have and, you know, gives them an opportunity to kind of demonstrate their um, proficiency with that task. The, the cadre, the instructor there, you know, they have some issues, they can help them out. It's a learning opportunity also, but it's also kind of a fun way to compete with your fellow members, uh, kind of normalize that across the whole country so we can all compete together and just have fun learning those. And, and this year, we're kind of focusing on the basic skills. I mean, like things that people would consider simple, like starting a fire, are not always simple. And, and, Look, I'll, I'll give you one more example, and then I'll pause here. A couple of years ago, there was this, you know, Arctic freeze that went got as far south as Houston. And um, there were people in Houston, you know, the power was out, the natural gas froze in the lines, they had no water. They didn't know how to start a fire in their fireplace. If the, You know, the gas starter in there didn't work, they didn't know how to do that. Well, so building a fire is not just a camping outdoor skills in the woods kind of thing. It's a, it's an important thing. And so, you know, kind of regardless of your context and regardless of your skill level, we've chosen these tasks and capabilities to you know, kind of fit for everybody's situation. Will these adventure challenges act as a force multiplier, increasing people's opportunities to respond significantly, right? We're, we're looking for ways to enhance their efficiency, their effectiveness. And at the same time, are you noticing that certain communities have a, let's say, a deeply ingrained resilience theory happening where some communities are more prepared to handle the adversity than others? And through these adventure challenges, they're able to share their knowledge and their experiences, growing the entire unit together. This idea that the tide raises all boats. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and that's part of the idea, right, is that we have people um, at, at all different skill levels across all of these tasks. And by creating these opportunities for the experts to interact with the beginners, that, that knowledge transfer occurs. And you can, you know, in, in 10 minutes, I can show you more about starting a fire than you could learn in two hours worth of watching video. If we're right there and I'm having you do it, 
then you get you begin to build that that tactile memory that that tacit knowledge that muscle memory of how to do this task so that when you are called upon to do it under stress you, you know that that's not really stress inoculation but it, it's less stressful because you have experience doing it so I, and Let's go back to the fire extinguisher example for a minute, right? We're going to get our two oldest grandkids here in the next week or so. And I'm going to go out in the yard and build a fire and have them put it out with a fire extinguisher. They're old enough to know how to, to be able to do that, right? But it it's kind of a freaky thing sometimes to do a fire extinguisher if you've never done one before. Because it's loud and it's, you know, billowy and you know all these things well i want them to have that experience before they have to before they need to know how to do that does that make sense yeah and and so if we do that in the context of these adventure challenges we're helping everybody as you say you know we're kind of rising the tide to raise all ships i've never used a fire extinguisher and i own multiples of them because of you in american contingency it was the very first thing that i went out and purchased in, in my entire life I know I've watched videos. I've held them in my hand and been like, oh, I need to pull that pin. I need to aim it towards the fire and I need to pull the trigger. Just sure. But I've still never once done it. And the experience of doing things is way more than just, again, we know visualizations help, but still at some point you need to put all of this into practice. And these adventure challenges are going to give people an opportunity to put real life scenarios into action so they can learn real life skills that later on will pay dividends. Yeah. And, you know, what I'm really excited about to see as we do these are families participating in the adventure challenge. You know, mom, dad and the kids um, moving, moving from station to station, experiencing these things together, because even within a team, whether it's a family team or a constructed team to compete in the challenge, you have different skill levels on different things. And so even just practicing for the adventure challenge will help build and improve everyone's skills. When we had Derek on months ago, he was talking about how a family was involved in one of their adventure challenges. And during the course of the day, they actually saw someone get hit by a car as they were riding a bicycle. And so this family's riding their bicycles. They're moving from point A to point B, or maybe they're in a car, not important. Well, the important aspect I want to bring up is as these family was on this adventure challenge going to complete a whole different task somebody gets hit by a car while riding the bicycle they're able to get out and they're able to stabilize the spinal column they're able to patch them up and they're able to be there and actually hand the person off to the first responders in a manner which gave the first responders all the information that was needed in the moment to make sure that this person was able to get the care that they needed to receive in order to get back to baseline zero they were at before they got hit by the car i thought it was amazing because here's these people learning these skills and then in the course of practicing the skills in this adventure challenge, have their skills put to the test and did such an amazing job. Even the first responders were like, wow, who are you people? Right. Exactly. And I, let me point out a another thing, because uh, I am familiar with that story too. That, that instance didn't occur in the woods. Right. So we a lot of times we tend to think about adventure challenge 
uh, building a fire, outdoor school or, or, or outdoor skills, not tying those. Those are all things. Those are all woodsy things. And we, you know, I live in, I don't, but you know, people do live in these urban areas uh, that I'm pretty sure that happened in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. These adventure challenges should be conducted in the, in the context in which you live. Right. Don't, don't go out into the woods and practice something that you don't do. Do it in the park. Do it in your neighborhood. Do, you know, route planning is route planning without your phone. That's one of the tasks that is in the, the list for the adventure challenge. How many people listening right now could plan a route to a new location they've never been to before if they couldn't use their phone? Don't put me on the spot because I would not do well with that. How many people even have a paper map? Me, because you got me one for Christmas a couple uh, years ago. That's right. It's in so, my car. <laughs> so, you know, it's about thinking about the things that you need. It's about acquiring those things and having them ahead of time um, and and knowing how to use them. And planning a route is not during a crisis is not as easy as planning a route during a non-crisis time. So I, I go back to Hurricane Rita and you know, picking on Houston again here, but you know, I think at the time five, six million people lived there and they were all trying to get out of Dodge. You know, a good portion of them went up Highway 69, which goes up into East Texas. That's a two-lane highway for most of its length. That's not a good route to take. No. <laughs> right? There were tens of thousands of cars abandoned on that highway. The you know, the 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 county officials were coming through with uh, bulldozers and front end loaders just pushing them off the road to open the roads back up. I mean, it's you got to think about that. In in that same scenario, you have millions of people trying to leave Houston. I-35 northbound through Austin was contraflowed. And I think there it's three lanes on each side and they had one lane going the other way. So five, five or six lanes going north and it was still standstill, not moving traffic. As we dive into this a little further, my brain has now created another scenario for the grandkids to utilize the fire extinguishers for. I mm-hmm. think you should get a pan of grease. I think you should put it on top of the fire, near the fire. And I think you should have them, uh, you should start a fire in the pan of grease and then you should throw water on it. Yeah. Because the likelihood that either of them, and I know whom you're talking about, and now I actually want to come over and watch this whole thing down. The likelihood that they're going to need to utilize a fire extinguisher outside when it's a campfire, I believe, is substantially less right. than their, oh my goodness, the pan just caught on fire as I was making bacon because I'm nine years old and I wanted to surprise mommy and daddy with breakfast and the bacon caught on fire. And what do I think I know about fires? You throw water on them. So I think you should escalate this and you should set a pan of grease on fire and then throw water on it and then show them how to utilize a fire extinguisher to stop that. Yeah. Or even, even that using the fire extinguisher will blow the grease out of the pan. Right. So, you know, it, it's all of these things. And, and this is not limited to to just kids. We all kind of 
we know, just like the route planning, we know that we need to know this, but do we have the things that we need? Have we practiced it? Have we have we thought about the the constraints that are going to apply under stress when those crisis moments occur? You know, we we can conceptually understand how to do CPR. I can even go to a class and someone shows me and I practice performing CPR. It's very different doing it on a family member. Just my brain is swirling now. I, I coming up with this uh, this cascading disasters, cascading crises, because you've got a pan, it's on fire. Throw water, big fire, bigger. Grab fire extinguisher to put said fire out, and it shoots hot bacon grease all over you. It's like we think some of these. Okay, this is my theory. Tell me if I'm wrong. That our brain, we think hurricane, we think grease fire, and we we self-contain this crisis in this little bubble. And how am I going to come up with a plan for or to mitigate this crisis? Well, not realizing that with each crisis grows opportunity for other crises that they don't live in their own little bubble. Oh, there's a hurricane. I got to board up my windows. Yeah, but now they got flooding in your streets. And now you've got no electricity. And now you've got to think about your food spoiling. And now you've got people who are hungry who are knocking on your door. And yeah, sure, you have weapons and you fired it at a paper target. But are you really a normal everyday human being going to shoot somebody over food and these people come up my buddy he's like oh if somebody tries to knock on my door i'll just shoot him dead i'm like you have shot that gun four times in the last three years i've known you do you really think you're going to point it at somebody and kill them over some stuff in your house so we have this idea that we can create these plans around these very bubbled crises not thinking about how it turns into cascading disasters what is, I'm just, I, this is all just flowing out of me freely. Jump in. What the heck did I just say? Well, I, I think the point that the discovery that you're having, the aha moment that is happening for you is that we tend to think about these things in a compartment, but they happen as a system, right? So there's a grease fire on top of the stove in the kitchen. Okay. Well, I can take, uh, I can take the fire extinguisher and put that fire out. That's going to blow grease out of the pan. That grease is going to get on me. I'm going to get burned. Period. Plan on it. Right? How do I deal with the burns? Is, is it an open flame or did I just get a hot grease burn? Right? Did I set the backsplash on fire? Is the... I mean, here, this happens all the time. There's a grease fire on top of the stove. I put that fire, I just put the lid on it, put the fire out, but the fire's already gotten up into the vent, right? And now all that, you know, decades of grease that's built up in the, in the exhaust vent is now on fire. And you got a fire roaring in your, in your attic that you don't even know about because you didn't know you needed to check on that after you had a stovetop fire. All of these things happen, right? Um, and and you don't really understand the full breadth and scope of the event until you, until you role play through that event or until you experience it in real life, right? And and I, as I say all the time, the people who have had this crisis moment, they're the believers. I don't have to teach them. I don't have to. I don't have to convince anybody that they need to keep a spare tire in their car and a jack and a lug wrench and know how to use it 
if they've ever had a flat, flat tire in the middle of nowhere on a back road highway. I know what that's like. I have experience doing that. So I don't, I don't have to try and convince you, you know, you're a believer, right? Now, whether you do anything with that or not is up to you. But, you know, having those experiences, whether real or in a practice scenario, give you an understanding of the complexity of the scenario, a complexity of the, the full context that we just don't have if we don't try it. We're really into this hazard vulnerability analysis idea now, where we're looking at a systematic approach to identifying hazards, risks, crises that are actual. A, a grease fire in someone's house is very actual. Uh, Hurricane Rita, you get days, not weeks, to see this thing barreling towards you to figure out you know, an action plan for that. When we are guiding those to do this hazard vulnerability analysis, to do an after-action report, how did we handle the grease fire in the house? How did we handle the child slipping down, falling, breaking a tooth? Did we all panic and freak out and scream at each other? Or did we just calmly pick up the tooth, you know, put it on ice and then roll out? Or is it milk? See, I don't even know. I hope I don't lose a tooth today. I'll either put it on ice or I'll put it on milk and I'll kill the tooth. Do we know what we need to do in these moments? That's that hazardous vulnerability analysis. And then do an after-action report and say, what did we do well? Where can we grow? What did we do great? Give ourselves some confetti, learn from it, and then move forward in our lives with this additional knowledge. Yep, 100%. I mean, the, the other thing we have to overcome is normalcy bias. And the easiest example for this is hurricanes. I've lived here my whole life and hurricanes never come through here. I'm just waiting this one out. But this is the one time in your life where it's a direct hit and you're wiped out washed out to sea, right? That's normalcy bias. I think it'll be all right. It's not a big deal. Ah, there's a tornado warning. Nah, they'll never come over on this side of the county, right? That's normalcy bias. You know, if there's a fire in the kitchen, I'll just call the fire department. It'll be all right. If you've never seen, just go on, go on YouTube and Google kitchen fire, right? Fast. Fast is what I you think about. You can go from a, a a hot skillet to a fully involved house in less than two minutes. Yes, fast. And a I, stellar response time by a fire department is five minutes. Stellar. And I live out in the country, and uh, my fire department says volunteer on it. So there's a good chance they're not even in the station. So now they got to drive from their homes to the station. And I'm sure it's ready. I've I know firefighters. I'm friends with them it's still going to take some time. And so you've got to have your own mitigation standards around you in order to create that sort of chain of survival. What will you do in those crises moments? And when we talk about normalcy bias, and I've got friends, I lived in Florida for over 15 years. They're like, ah, oh, it's just another hurricane. And then my friends in Fort Myers, after that last one hit them, are finding themselves sleeping on couches in South Carolina for three weeks. You know, and I asked them, what would you have done to prepare more effectively for this? And, you know, they're like, we didn't even have a generator that could have kept our food. I mean, they lost thousands right. of dollars of food and, uh, you know, carpets got flooded, the whole deal. We didn't even think about sandbags. We didn't board up our windows. Multiple got broken. It, it was a fiasco that somebody who's been living in Fort Myers for over 20 years should have had a deeper preparation toward. I'll, I know we're running short on time. I'll say one more thing before we go. I, you know, the example of the family that had been training and they came across, you know, this accident and they were able to support until the air quotes here, first responders got there. 
they were the first responders. The the the, the professionals, the you know EMS, the fire department, whoever it was, they were second responders in that scenario, and in every circumstance. It's like my brother-in-law used to be a police officer. He says, I treat every encounter as if there's a gun involved because I know there is because I brought it, right? You should treat every crisis moment as though you are the first responder because you are, because it's happening to you in real time. Everybody else that gets there is second or third or fourth, right? You are your own first responder. You have to have some way to... I mean, how catastrophic would it be emotionally to have to sit and watch one of your family members die from a heart attack because you don't know CPR or bleed out because you don't know where to put the tourniquet? I mean, emotionally, I think that is that would be almost unrecoverable for me. Right. It, it's a shift then in this mentality. It's like we should be we should start calling EMS and all of the firefighters second responders, and we should be training people, which is what we do. But as a society as a whole, it's and again Mike Glover, get off the couch. So many years of just calling other people first responders, but unless you're doing, unless you fall down by yourself in the woods and knock yourself out, it, there's always going to be another person who is the actual first responder than the people who have been trained to be the first responders well we we want to delegate that responsibility to somebody else that's why we that's why we do that <clears throat> but um the, the reality is that's just not the way it's going to work even if you do fall in the woods and you know unless somebody just happens to stumble upon you you're going to wake up and still be your own first responder you're just going to have a headache i mean we we have to accept that now. I mean, I mean, it's not even it's not even a point we should argue. It's that's just the way it is. You know, if I fall and break an arm, if my wife falls and breaks an arm, in either case, I'm the first responder to that. And yes. I'm either I'm either prepared or I'm not. Those are the two conditions. We're going to get you out of here on this. I love the idea that the adventure challenges, we've talked about that a lot in this episode. We've talked a lot about it off mic because this is something that's important to you to get the regions together and to go through these adventure challenges. We've talked about intentional outreach to families, intentional onboarding of new members so that they realize all of the resources that we offer on the phone app or on the website, uh, intentionally growing the chapters. In 2024, there's going to be those that are looking for the black swan event, the collapse of government, the collapse of infrastructure, the, you know, the grid goes down, nuclear war happens and all that. But in reality, it's at any given Tuesday crisis. You know, you bump your head, you broke your tooth, you break your arm, your kitchen fire and your nine year old's home alone. And they got to figure out how to put it out and potentially get grease on them as we're guiding people to learn these skills what is it something that concerns you about what people are actually thinking about the every given Tuesday kind of crises and what gives you hope about where we're leading people toward as an organization? Well, so the two things that give me concern are that they worry more about um they worry more about the causative effect or the causative event than they do the practical uh, impacts. They want to worry more about 
who's going to win the election? Who's going to protest over that? Then, then what that means to them in their daily life. That's one. The other thing is normalcy bias worries me. That people think that can't happen to me. That's something that happens to other people. That's not something I need to worry about. I live next door to the volunteer fire department, so I'm okay. All of those things might be true in a normal set of circumstances. But in abnormal circumstances, um, you can't rely on anyone else. The thing that gives me hope is just the number of people that are seeking answers. You know, I talk to uh, the, the staff around here a lot about we need to be able to answer questions, answer the questions that people have when and where they need them. That's our job. And the number of people that are asking questions gives me hope that more people are seeking ways to be better prepared. It does bring me a lot of hope that people are now looking outside themselves and saying, I want answers and I want to figure out how to do this for myself. We are getting back to that uh, resiliency as a nation we're known for, for saying, you know what, I will figure this out for myself rather than hoping that, you know, some figure thousands of miles away in their uh, penthouse suite is going to somehow answer this for me. Yeah, and but I will add to that. Yes, we should be resilient and we should be um, self-reliant, but we are also members of a community. And I, I, you know, I think back to times where people would have barn raisings, right? They knew they couldn't do that on their own. They might know how to do it, but they're just not physically capable of doing it by themselves. And they have to call on the community and neighbors came to help. And and that still happens today. I you know, people I saw a video. I swear it was done in one day because the sun never went down, but you could tell the sun was moving. It was like an Amish community and it was shot really far away. And there must have been a couple hundred people working on this. They built, I mean, the most gigantic barn ever, and they finished yep. it in a day. And yep. it may have even been on our social media. I was phenomenal what the community was able to create for themselves in one day of collective unity working on yeah. it absolutely just take it takes a community that's all uh you got the microphone one thing you want the world to hear from you right now when we think don't about do, 2024 don't do it alone be part of a community find like-minded people and work together to strengthen yourself your family your community that's how we build stronger states and a stronger nation and we all come out of this better prepared and ready for whatever our next crisis moment is. That is powerful. Helping people move from some level of uncertainty to some level of, we got this, uncertainty to certainty. I know, I love to butcher it up. We're moving people from uncertainty to some level of certainty. Tom, I love having you on. I can't wait for 2024 to see where American contingency grows, to see where uh, our family grows, to see what we do as a, as a nation, as a people, as a community, as a city, as a family, as individuals. 2024 offers a tremendous amount of hope. I thank you for coming on the microphone and bringing your wisdom to the members and those who will future join. It's always a pleasure to have you. Anytime, man. All right, my friend, that's it. We're out. When you're ready to build the skills, the network, and the confidence to be ready for whatever comes next, join us at AmericanContingency.com. I hope you had a great Christmas, a great holiday season, and as always, Happy New Year. Go to AmericanContingency.com. Find out how you can become a member. Bye-bye. <laughs>